Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now we've met a stand-up guy, it's time to get acquainted to Mr. Producer. As we look at episode 7 of the Paramount Plus limited series, The Offer, titled Mr. Producer. This episode is directed by Gwyneth Horder-Payton and written by Kevin J. Hines. Joining me as ever to check the horses' heads are up to scratch and to see if the film is colour-timed is Will Chich. How are we doing this week, Will? I'm tall, mate, yourself? Yes, very well, very well, very well. We're what we're after this one. We're going to be three episodes left. We're, we're three episodes left. Yes, uh, three more bottles of wine left. Yeah, I think uh, we've we've already discussed off mic what what the final wine is going to be, and we'll yeah. we'll let you know we'll let you know at the end of episode nine what that is going to be. It's going to be a big old a big old treat that one. We're going out on a bang, yes. but can't wait, mate. I think it's time for us to talk about this week's wine. So, Will, what have you gone for this week? Tell us a little bit about it. I have got a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, Oyster Bay. And I tell you what, it's very nice. Yeah, I've had it in my fridge for a while. It was a 40th birthday present. Part of a 40th birthday present. And uh, yeah, I thought, what bear time to crack it open than White Wine Week? Lovely so, yeah. stuff. We have accidentally um, uh, like coordinated with our wine. I haven't got an Oyster Bay, but I've got a, I'm assuming a Spanish, because it's a Casalero Diablo Reservas Especial Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, it's from the, I oh, know it's a Chilean wine. Oh, yes, please. Mm-hmm. 2001 um and what it says on the back here let's talk about oh the cool breeze from nearby's pacific ocean together with the clay soils and granite uh, origin are the perfect combination uh, combination to achieve a fresh crisp and well-balanced wine 
Mine is yeah, Oyster Bay captures the special character of New Zealand's cool climate. Elegant, assertive wines with glorious fruit flavours. Oh yes, yeah. This so there says, we go. This says this elegant Sauvignon Blanc offers citrus notes, especially grapefruit, accompanied with a crisp acidity. Uh, let me have a little swig. See if I'm getting all of that. You on board with that? I'm getting that. I'm getting the acidity. I'm definitely getting that grapefruit punch. I think they've they've nailed it there with their description. Definitely does. They know their stuff. Has that kind of grapefruit tang to it? You know, like grapefruit. Mm. You always think, oh yeah, grapefruit is going to be really sweet, and then you have one. It's like, well, oh, it's a bit tangy. But, You've yeah. said they've got some grapefruit notes coming through on this one. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe it's a characteristic of the Sauvignon Blanc. Or the Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, so we've got wine out of the way. Let's um yeah, let's let's talk about um where we were left off with Al Ruddy and the gang on last week's episode. Where where were we at, Will? Yeah, so there was there's a lot we're, we're into it now, so there was a lot of doubts about old uh, Mr. Pacino. Is he a leading man? There's a bit of backstabbing going on behind the scenes. So yeah, Jack is on the prowl. He's after a bit of it. Uh, Ruddy was out. Ruddy was back in. Pretty much as Ruddy's back in. Um, so yeah, production is fully started. We have everyone loves the movies. We had those speeches about everyone loves the movies. Everyone's back loving the movies. Um, and the Columbo Crazy Joe situation is ramping up. Yes, we had we had Caesar gun down his men, right? Mm. Kind of intercut with uh, Al Ruddy. Joe Colombo at the uh, Madison Square Garden for, for, the, for, for the Frank Sinatra concert. Um, yes. Uh, so where do we pick up with the gang on this episode? Yes, we're straight in with the gang on because we're on set now. Yes, yeah, yeah. we're in production. We're on set, and then we're straight in with the the gang. Looking at something, all looking down on something, which is revealed to be a horse's head or a prop horse's head. <laughs> yeah, and I love the kind of uh, all the reactions, like like what the fuck yeah. is that? Like, like <laughs> a shit, yeah, a shit horse's head. Well, like Francis really fucking digs out Dean Tavolaris in this scene as well, doesn't he? Well, I think mm. we're starting to see. Like, yeah, what did you kind of think of, like, Francis' scene? Were you kind of surprised of his kind of, uh, the way he handled the situation? Yeah, well, again, a bit further on that, but you, this is like an introduction to how the Francis we're going to see more of, and we do in this episode, where he is Mr. Perfectionist, and he, he's a little bit tense, and he's quite, um... <laughs> He's quite argumentative. He, he, he likes a bit, and you can tell. Yeah. From, I think this is the idea of this introduction is, you know, we're seeing the side of Francis where he wants to assert himself, and he likes things done his way. Yeah, because what is it he says to him? I will cut this scene rather than have it in the movie with that piece of shit. Like, I, will, I will cut <laughs> I, the scene. 
I will cut the scene rather than do it with that piece of shit because I don't want to stick an apple in its mouth, but I will not cut the scene. <laughs> so he's like, I will cut the scene, but I'm not cutting the scene to get it sorted. So, yeah. So this gives Al Ruddy the opportunity to call call in his right-hand woman, uh, Betty McCart, and he enlists her to go look for a better fake horse's head. And uh, I like her kind of closing line on that scene where it's like, I should have let you stay fired. Like, where it's like, yeah. like the, the nigh on impossible, right, to find a better horse's head. Yeah, so she's, yeah, she's, she does say, so oh, so now I'm in charge of horses' heads. That's her thing. Yeah. So before, yeah, before we go further and kind of get into the nitty gritties, like, did, like, what are your kind of overall, I don't know, like, without spoiling it, what are your kind of overall opinions on, on this episode? Like, is, is, did it manage to kind of, get into a lot of stuff like and kind of carry on the trajectory we were on because obviously there's been a shift in director colin buxy took over those like middle three and now we've got someone different for this episode yeah it's a there's a few flourishes in it that you can see are from a different director because even that opening the way that shot with the reveal of the horse's head we haven't seen that kind of i wouldn't say it's been there's not many there's not many flourishes is a pretty straightforward shot. There's nothing massive, but there's a few bits in this episode where you can see it's coming from a different eye. So yeah, this 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 opening shot is different what we've seen. It's a bit of a flourish, and yeah, overall, like again, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty of the episode, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good episode, and it is there is it's quite different. Well, yeah. certainly, but it is quite different. Because I felt like that last episode really ramped up to something that's quite like a dramatic, mm. and then it was kind of like a pressure cooker, right? It's like we're kind of right, yeah, we're going into something almost completely different this episode. We've kind of got a whole different host of problems, and kind of, I don't know, it kind of felt somewhat like a bottle episode in just Al Ruddy kind of having to put out fires left, right, and center in a way. Obviously, it's not all set in one location, but kind of had a theme to the episode and was like, <laughs> like, let's dish, 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 yeah. do this, do that. And there's a few, yeah, there's a few episodes we've had like that where it, it, this show does tend to have these moments where, or sections where there seems to be a lot of people running into rooms going, we've got a problem. <laughs> we've got to go to this. We've got a problem. Um, there's elements of that to this episode, but yeah, there was, a, especially last, and we made a few predictions about what would happen in this episode. Uh-huh. We did make a prediction, and yeah, but yeah, this last episode we said it was slightly shorter as well. It did seem like an episode to bring ramp it up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. So, but but back into the episode, uh, we we then see Jack uh, showing Charlie dailies, and basically trying to whisper in his ear to to get rid of Pacino, right? Yeah. So. Um, Charlie's watching the rushes, and you've got um, Jack and Aaron. Barry. Oh, Barry's yeah. there as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Barry's there, and um, yeah, they're there, and they're doing their. They're basically sticking it to Pacino, and 
He's, as I said in the last episode, I don't think he's elite. And there's another comment about it, but he can't even see over the boxes because obviously we're seeing the scene we saw filmed last week. So, yeah, they, they, they're after Pacino. They want him out. And obviously Charlie sees the, uh, the dailies and agrees because it's all dark and Pacino is not a leading man, yeah. in their opinion. When they're like, so we've got your blessing, do what we want here. Like, his kind of closing line to them is like, because uh, he kind of gets pissed off with them. Don't he? He's like, yeah, it's a fucking course you have. He's like, uh, I'll rip out your hearts and show them before you die. Like, get out of here. Like, he's just so fucking like, he's so yeah. menacing. He's, yeah, and Barry, I think it's Barry who speaks. He just looks at him and says, why are you still fucking here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, he, he plays it really well because he is quite, he's funny. Like he is a funny character, but he is menacing. And I feel like, like this, he, this episode, we'll get into it like more so, but it's a turning point for Charlie somewhat, like kind of, mm. and it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, I don't know, it's, it's exciting. This is probably one of the ones where I'm like, I think because we're near the end game of this all now, I'm like, oh, I could really just gone into the next episode like it kind of i don't know yeah i was absolutely the same because a few episodes i'm quite i was quite to watch it weekly as we are but this episode particularly like i say we'll get into our it but i was like oh i could have done i could have finished this now i could have sat on what i could have easily had a day just finishing it and because i'm in it now yeah, yeah, yeah. you see you could see the, like the end is in the not in a bad way but I just want to, because it's ramped up so much. I just want to see it now. Yeah. So uh, we we next get to see our our main man Bob, Bobby Evans uh, turning up in Texas to see Ali McGraw, and he knocks on her door. She's surprised to see him. Why, Will, is she surprised to see Bob Evans in Texas? Because as Bob put it, Ali's fucking the blob. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's um, she's in there with Steve McQueen. I like, like, I like the fact that we never see Steve McQueen. Like, oh. <laughs> it's all in a doorway. Yeah, I really, I, I, I did like this because I think it was well done. Because as it was happening, I was expecting our big showy Bob to lose his shit like he does, but he absolutely doesn't. Mm-hmm. Which kind of and I I quite like that because we've we've seen Bob lose his shit. That's what he that's what he does. Well, I think so. Yeah, it was a slightly different side to him. I think from his from his autobiography, kind of him talking in later life, this was one of his biggest regrets was the fact that he let that relationship just like slip away and like he kind of mm. for years just put his work like in front of him, like instead of in front of her. And like she kind of says that to him, right? She's like, "Well, we've been, we've pretty much you let go of me a- ages ago. Like you've put work yeah, yeah. before me constantly. Like, um, yeah, like I, I was just another he, thing to check off your list he, of things to do." As he says, um, he says to her, "I, I said I'd never leave you," and then she says, "You left me years ago." Yeah, which is yeah. quite. A- Ting. Yeah, it's, and I think obviously he doesn't blow up here. But I think like, I don't know. He he kind of 
he's letting off steam in other ways throughout this episode, and it, it mm. feels like something maybe bubbling with Bob Evans because surely yeah. you can't. I don't know. Let, let, yeah, the way he's kind of living his life now. But yeah, in that scene, he looks he looks broken at the end of it, right? He's yeah, like, he genuinely does. Yeah, which I, which that's when I think I thought it was well played and well because I think it it, it highlighted more that he was genuinely hurt because we've seen him blow up so often in his theatrical blow ups yeah. for him to not react as you'd expect. You go. Oh shit! And I think it's a, this scene is a nice payoff to all of like. So obviously, up until this point, I don't know. You could look at it like, oh, why are they kind of giving us all this stuff between Bob Evans and Ali McGraw? And it's kind of like I don't know. It's a. I never really had an issue with any of that stuff, but it's a nice payoff to that. Do you know what I mean? Like it's this. Kind yeah, of, yeah. That that subplot very much has it. Had it. Had had a good arc throughout it, and kind of like you, I don't know. I guess if you rewatch it, you can probably see the chinks and the the mm. in their armor as a couple, and the kind of cracks in their foundations throughout the, well, yeah, throughout the series. Yeah, because we've only ever seen them really in those the bedroom scenes where they're just chatting, and even then, now looking back, when you look at the series, every time every one of those scenes finishes with Bob talking to work yeah so it's built up to this some of the subplots we've like we've discussed kind of come to nothing Mm -hmm. which i'm still a little bit confused by because whether it'll come back but it's just gone i think we we can't talk about it yeah she's gone yeah yeah completely not even mentioned (laughs) yeah but yeah so that 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 was a weird one because it obviously needed to be because it's part of his story, so it was in there. But we have had a payoff now to the Animal Grow stuff, which is nice. Yeah, and it is good to kind of like not good, but it is interesting to think back on those scenes because it is yeah mm. that scene like, and even her she wants to do something else. Like, do we really have to watch Panic in Needle Park again? Like every scene is kind of her just at his beck and call and doing what he wants to do, or she just wants to go to bed or whatever and he's like yeah, yeah. Ah, it's jackie baby it's the easy rider like <laughs> easy rider yeah but like even the the whole thing where he could have just gone to texas in the first place but he didn't because he was like oh i've, I've got to go on set yeah and I, I guess it, it kind of it it speaks to that thing as well doesn't it of kind of it's very relatable that thing of you know people and yeah people in their lives Put work in front of stuff like do you know what I mean like work life balance can be really difficult, and I think like I don't know, you know, I, <laughs> as much of a prick as Bob Evans is in this show, you definitely feel some sympathy for him in this moment, I think it's hundred percent like in in that moment, yeah, definitely, because like as you said it's, it is relatable, we've all had those moments where we've had to work rather than do something with it, so yeah, it is relate well, I've got to stay home this week. Because I can't get time off work while my family are going to the in-laws for the week. So, and I can't go. So I can relate. I, basically, I'm saying I relate to Bob Evans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. You've got, yeah, you've got to produce all those, all those, uh, all those films, right, Will? And then... <laughs> this is it, yeah. i got to produce films. i got stuff to do. I'll have Jack Nicholson on the phone tomorrow. It's going to be nice. a busy week. 
But no, yeah, it, you can. In that moment, there's a bit of there's a bit of humanity to Bob, yeah, bit of pay which we haven't seen a lot of. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I think like last week we saw him kind of, I don't know, like not losing all humanity, but he's doing lines of coke on a private jet. You know I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? It doesn't last long, but we do have a snippet of him. Yes, yes, yes. It doesn't last long at all. Um. So next we get Columbo and the guys chatting about Gallo and how the film is going. What did you make of this scene? Were you kind of just another slice of gangster stuff or were you kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, a bit like that. It, what, it, again, it, it's just, this is the scene where the, um, this is the meeting, yeah? No, it's just Joe and his guys talking. No, he's not having a meeting. With oh, Gallo. yeah, of course. Yeah, he has a meeting with Gallo. Yeah, it is just a little bit of slice of our gangster stuff. Mm-hmm. Introducing them back in. We're getting them back in the in the episode. I think that's pretty much what this is. Just to give you a little reminder that they're still not, you know, we're still going to have a bit of this. They're there. So they were, like, they're Len- there. They're still on. Lenny's there. Old Lou Ferrigno's there. Caesar's there. Lou. Yeah. So it's just a, yeah. They're still, just to let us know they're still on the fringes and they're still in it. Uh-huh. And then we're back to the production office and Dean Tavalaris is asking Al Ruddy, kind of, yeah, the one of the many fires that he's trying to put out in this episode, because this is very much an episode of, uh, I think it's safe to say that Al Ruddy is the Mr. Producer of the of, of the title of this episode. And this very much is kind of, I don't know, <laughs> uh, leaving it to episode seven to show us like, what does a producer actually do? Even though like, We've kind of seen it throughout the show anyway. We kind of like have put two and two together on what a producer does. But um Yeah, yeah then that is dealt with less than subtly in later on. But yeah, so it, it Ruddy's got a lot of stuff going on with everyone in this episode. He's got a lot of problems. It's one it we do have a bit of that thing where there's a lot of scenes where someone's coming in telling everybody. We've got a problem. This needs sorting. He said, Yeah, because off I go. This scene starts with Dean Tavalaris asking more money because they need the walls and stuff like that. Like, yeah. uh, they need to build actual walls. And then Andrea Eastman comes in being like, oh, we've got a problem with casting. Like, we need to get someone to play Luca Brazzi. <laughs> and like, for us, like, oh, the guy signed a contract. It's like, well, yeah, he had a stroke this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Is it again? This is what we hinted at with the horse said. We're having another bit of Francis just before he's even asked any questions. He's like, he's a contract, he should be here. Well, no, he, he's he's dead, <laughs> he's he's not coming in. That's not a thing that's happening. So, yeah, we get this from Francis quite a bit in this episode where he's a man on edge. Yeah, he's kind of the man on the edge this episode, isn't he? Like mm. other episodes, it's normally Al or uh. Yeah, it's definitely the Francis. It's Francis's turn to be um, have the the eye twitch. <laughs> so he comes up with an idea to uh, use uh, one of yeah to use Lenny. Right? He's like, yeah, we we'll use, we'll use one of Columbo's guys, and then we cut to the scene of them auditioning him. Uh, what did you make of this scene? Obviously, Lou Ferrigno finally getting something to do. He's very much been a background player throughout most of this, right? Yeah. So he gets his his moment in the spotlight. And 
again, I did quite like this scene. I don't know how true it is how this scene pans out because obviously Lou Faringo's um he he can't remember the lines. He can't deliver the lines. And then Francis says, that's what we need. He needs the cards. He's he is nervous to meet the dawn, and it, he creates the scene. And it, again, I'm repeating myself again, far from subtle, because he may as well just go, you may as well just cut to Francis and go, bing, and I like yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it, and that happens quite a bit. But I quite liked it, because it, like we said before, it's a little in for, for us. And you go, oh, that's quite, that's quite cool. He's, that's how that came about. So yeah, I I quite liked it. Well, that that is yeah that because that is what kind of that act what actually happened with um uh da, 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 yeah with 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 the character with, with with the guy Lenny kind of stepping in. It was this thing that he couldn't do his lines, and Francis kind of on the hoof came up with it. Probably not in that moment. There probably was like do you know what I mean some time pass and be like yeah. Well, let me think about this. Can I make this work? This, that, and the other. But in this, they kind of really an idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. What would he? Yeah, he's formal. He's come to meet the dawn. What we do is outside. We'll film him. Um, film him with a cue cards. It'll be absolutely fine. And it's like, oh, okay, okay. I guess, I guess that that, that that's it then, right? Like that, that that's how we're rolling with this. He's uh. But yeah, what did you think of Lou Frigno's performance in this moment? As I said, he kind of gets uh, he's been sidelined throughout most of this. I mean was his performance playing the character? It's pretty fucking spot on, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. spot on. It, it, the casting is pretty bang on. Yeah, and his performance is like Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, absolutely. Particularly can't fault it. I don't know if we'll see much more of it, but it was spot on. Nice, nice. So, um, it, yeah, there's a few casting choices which really work, and that's one of them. So, um, it's episode seven. I'm still not sold on. Well, so on to one that let's see if this one works. So, we're now on set, and Brando has found a stray cat in the alley. What did you think of the kind of set? Because they had to recreate the Don's office. What did you make of like? What did you think of the visuals and the kind of way that they handle this as well, right? Because they're getting ready to kind of shoot those really famous scenes of Brando in the office. I think this is something that does really well because it absolutely looks like the set and completely buy into that. You know, it it does look like it, and it's one. It is one of the things they they've got bang on, like we said about the house and things in previous episodes, it does give you that feeling of, like I watched The Godfather a couple of weeks ago, but, and it does give you that feeling of, even though I watched it, oh, I can watch it again. Oh, it's The Godfather. Do you know what I mean? So you do get that, you absolutely get that sense of the film. And how do you think they, like, they play it in the way that, obviously they're setting up the scene and it's kind of like a kind of cat and mouse game because like you're like oh, are they gonna is the camera gonna turn and it's like oh, are they gonna show us them filming the scene right because obviously like they're they're trying to put out the mini fires because we've got the fact to like 
everyone's like, are we going with the cat? Are we not going with the cat? Like, Francis is like, the cat is inspired. Like, it seems, seems like a good I choice. did like that, that exchange about the cat when um, both Francis and Ruddy are like, yeah, works. Yeah, go with the cat. Go with the cat. It's inspired. And then I think it's Betty who says, and now you do want to tell Brando he can't have a cat. And they go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, then you've got, so, like, yeah. you got like Gordon Willis there as well, going like, are we going with a cat? Are we not going with a cat? Like, <laughs> What's with the cat? And yeah. like, I, I like the sound guy who comes to um, Coppola and he's like, you yeah, know, we might have a slight problem. Mm. And like hands him the headphone and all you can hear is... It's the cat. Cat purring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. Might, which might explain the fact that those scenes... Uh, are all like if you watch The Godfather again, they're all overdubbed, they're all done in ADR. Yeah, that would make sense. Like, even even when you have uh Bonazera give his speech, like, if you watch, it's like it's all overdubbed, like that, 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 that all of those scenes in there. Like, um, and I think there's like an allusion to it because Francis just says, like, Oh, don't worry, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, like Ruddy's called away because he gets a call from Bob Evans, who tells him about Barry's moves. Right? What, 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 what is said in this in this kind of phone conversation between the two of them? Will? Yeah. So Bob, Bob is fully on side now already because this is boy. So yeah, the conversation is had that he's basically said that they want to fire out. That's how it's going, is they want to fire Al. And, but Bob is fully, he, he tells Ruddy he's on side. He's, I'm on his side. So, yeah, they, he's going to come and back Ruddy and Pacino. But he's basically saying they need, they've seen much and they need to, they need to do something to make sure everyone knows Pacino is your man. And what might what could that be? And I like the fact as well that uh, <laughs> um, Ruddy tries to ask him about Texas. How is Texas? And all Bob says is hot as a fucking sun. Fucking sun. <laughs> yeah. And we're obviously as well. Um, Bob Evans is on a plane, so he's a uh, a little refresher. He's having a little. Uh, yeah, he's basically smashing some coke. So yeah. yeah, that's what that's what Bob it would seem that's what Bob does on planes. Yeah, a little he's, he's a nervous flyer. He's a nervous flyer, I guess. Um yeah. Yeah. back to the set, like what I kind of like about this again, it's that thing of them not showing us them filming the scene, is we get this nice kind of moment between Francis and Brando talking about the kind of motivations of Don, like what are your yeah? What what are your thoughts on Justin Chambers as as Marlon Brando in this? You you messaged me during the week to realise where you noticed Justin Chambers yeah. from, right? Yeah. So Kylie is watching Grey's Anatomy all the way through. I, I can't tell you why. I don't know, but that's what she's doing. So she's watching Grey's Anatomy, and I had. This, this has come off the back of the conversation with the cotton wool 
in the mouth. So I, I showed her the scene that, to say that I didn't say that. This this is what happened. So I showed her the bit in the offer. And then she said, oh, I might watch it now because that's Grey's Anatomy guy. And I went, who? And then it clicked. I was like, oh, it's the guy from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I was six episodes in, didn't have a clue. But now, yeah. So Kylie's might watch the offer, not because it's the making of one of the greatest films ever made, because the doctor from Grey's Anatomy is in it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, from from kind of like following them on social media, like that is a thing. Like there's a lot of fan pages like dedicated to the doctor that he plays on on that show. Yeah. And, like, people are like, I love him, I love him, like he's amazing. Like, okay, okay, like Grey's Anatomy is massive, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't realise. And it's but... still it's still going. <laughs> it's like 18, I think we're on like series 18 or something. I don't know if he's still in it, but yeah, I didn't I didn't know it was a, a big thing, Grey's Anatomy. So yeah, but he's the, the young hunky doctor from it. How do you think he is in these like um yeah, how, how do you think he is in these scenes? Um Justin Chambers as Brando. They think they use him really well in the sense that we don't get too much of him. Uh-huh. Do you mean? Because he is playing, he is absolutely the caricature of Brando, but that's it. He's that's done on purpose, I assume, because that's what we, we want to see. Do you mean he is playing mumbling Brando? Yeah. Do you mean? And but I think he, I, it's weird because I've read the other way around the people are more sold on certain other people as people than brando whereas i i'm more sold on the brando stuff because we don't see much of him mm-hmm. and when we do he's very much brando in it yes and i think that's done well because he, he is they treat him in the show as almost like this mythical actor because he's, you only see him on set. You only see him doing these profound little speeches, and that's that's my Brando. Yeah. So I think they, I, I think they use it really well. Yeah, and he's kind of all of his scenes. He's kind of cast in shadow and in darkened rooms. Yeah, I mean? like, and Justin Chambers, like he looks the part as well, right? And um, you'll be absolutely. You'll be sad to know that uh, Justin Chambers is no longer in Grey's Anatomy. He left the show in 2020. 2020, so both series 15, probably. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm guessing by the titles of his final episodes, so they are A Diagnosis, Save the Last Dance for Me, and um, The Last Supper. Oh, Christ. I don't (laughs) think it ends well for him. Oh, yeah, maybe Dr. Alex Karev uh, is uh, no longer with us. <laughs> no longer with us. Sorry to spoil Grey's Rip. Anatomy for anyone. That's probably not what you expected on a conversation about the offer. <laughs> but I'll tell you what will be interesting is if Kylie does listen to these like she says she does, like she spoiled the godfather of me, Grey's Anatomy's just been spoiled for it. <laughs> Oh, I feel terrible. <laughs> um, Fine. And they're getting ready for the shot. One one of the things I loved is, because I know that there is truth in this, is um, I think somebody asked, like, what, like, bet, I think bet, 
Betty might ask or something like, what is on what is on Robert Duvall's chest? And he, yeah, yeah. Because that on, reveal is quite funny. Yeah, what is on Robert Duvall's chest? Yeah, so we we see we see the back of Robert Duvall and of Brando doing his thing, and then it's it is it's playful. Actually, it's a funny reveal because he turns around and he's got the the script on his chest, <laughs> and yeah, it's, I really like that. I thought it was really well done. It's a funny touch that was. Well, it's true. It's true as well. Yeah. They had to do stuff like that for, or like kind of have cue cards on people's foreheads yeah. for, for Brando. Because Betty says, Coppola, that's what Coppola says, um, Francis is like, uh, he's in the moment, he doesn't um, he doesn't learn lines. And Betty says, so, so as I'm along, goes, does anyone on this set? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, I love that kind of reveal, especially yeah. Is it is another one of those touches for the for the nerds who kind of know the truth, and if not, it just works as a, a brilliant little gag. Um, yeah, like but it. That's we've said it before. It's one of those things it does really well. It's like, like it's one of those things I, I knew, knew, but if I did know, that's a. It, it is done as a gag, and it's a funny little reveal. Those humorous touches are things that really work in this sometimes. One of the things I love in this scene is da- Dan Fogler's reaction when he finds out um, when Al Ruddy tells him like Barry and Ch- like yeah about Barry and Charlie and them showing the dailies and like wanting to get rid of Al Pacino and he's like what like he's kind of like <laughs> really oh, like in my notes all I've got for this is just what in capital letters because that's exactly what <laughs> yeah it's great. Um, and they kind of devise a plan, right, that, to move up the shooting day of the Salozzo shooting for tomorrow in this timeline. Obviously, in real life, it was like, let's do it at the, the end of the... Yeah, it is, they're, they're doing that same thing that they always do of kind of like really protracted timeline of everything. Like, I'm sure yeah. by the end of the shoot of this film, it's going to feel like it's been like a week. Whereas, like, it was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> the Godfather, yeah, the Godfather's made in seven days. This is how it feels on this. Yeah, they just rocket in through it. But, yes, but we did, we did make this prediction last week. That this is what we were going to see in this episode. It's got, it, it, yeah. had, it had to be this episode. Right? Yeah. It had to be. Um, and then Al Ruddy calls like a kind of uh, emergency meeting of all of the kind of go to guys. So, He's got Aram there, the editor. He's got Gordon Willis, the DOP, Coppola himself. And he's kind of saying, the Daily's getting out. Like, they're not allowed to be shown to anyone apart from us. And um, if you want to show them to anyone else, like, you need mine and Francis's, like, say so to do so. Um, obviously, we know as an audience. Like, yeah, how do you think this plays? Like, would you have rather have, like, not known about the kind of, Jack and Aram stuff, like or like Aram being involved with that, or I think of, they've made a bed for themselves, right? Kind of already showing us in the last episode that these two are bedfellows of of conniving. Yeah, I mean, again, it, yeah, we, I like it. it it's another suppose, another, but it's all about this now. The the ramping up and who's backstabbing who and where's it? So, I yeah, is a little bit more intrigue and a little bit more tension. And as we know, this show doesn't fuck about. It's rocketing through stuff. So these these moments of these constant little subplots and tensions work really well in the show. Because, yeah. 
And it doesn't seem interested in that thing of trying to do like big reveals to the audience with stuff like that. Of like, do you know what I mean? This episode, there could be a moment that ha- it could be a moment in this show where like, like it's revealed that Aram was the guy feeding the dailies all along. Dun dun dun. Do you know what I mean? They don't care about that. Like they'll, nah. they'll shock us in other ways, in like kind of yeah. And if it, it, it is about that firing through this stuff, it's giving you as much information you can without. I mean, occasionally there's a bit of an information dump, and you know what I mean. We do have. It can be quite exposition heavy, but it, like I say, it's not trying to do anything. But it's just giving us what we need, and then let's move on. We've got a problem. Let's move on. That is the, it, that's how this show is. Like I said, it, again, this episode is like, I've said it before, we both it, again, this episode is a lot like a paper. It's constantly on the move and we're bouncing from place to place and something's happening, it's got to be solved and then we'll move on to the next thing. So, yeah. What did you think of this next scene between uh, Giovanni Rabisi and Anthony uh, Scudari? Like when it's when it's yeah, obviously Columbo and Gambino having this meeting, and uh, Gambino kind of changes his mind about the whole league stuff. Like, what did what did you think of this scene? I kind of I I, I kind of dug it. I think I like that. I think it's because it was I, tense. Yeah, I like Anthony Scudari, man. I think he's really mm. great at kind of playing this like menacing dude. Yeah, and like he plays it. Straight over, you know, what we've seen in a million times in gangster films, so you play straight over that, but again, there's a real menace to it. Mm-hmm. Even though when he's even when he's seemingly being nice, we're going, he's not being fucking nice. He's a dangerous guy. It's like, it's there's a, he plays that edge really well. It's like those moments we see in stuff like Goodfellas, isn't it? Where it's like you're getting the kiss on the cheek and it's like, Ah, oh, this is only going to end badly for you. And obviously, like... Joe Pesci being made, isn't it? Yeah. And we see that... Who is that? We, we see, as Joe Colombo leaves, Joe Gallo comes into the room and it's kind of, like, embraced by um, Gambino. And it's like, is that Joe Gallo... Is that Joe Colombo's card marked? Like, what is what is going to... What is going to happen, obviously, if he's got kind of the head of the commission behind him? in like whatever he wants to do next um yeah then we go back to set and things things aren't going well because francis and gordy willis are not getting along is that what you think man of course i care about what it looks like but the actors they, they can't even walk around the set yes wow. that's right they can't they have to hit their marks that's the point. Unless you just want me to point a 10K at the room and walk away. <laughs> you know lighting! You don't know a goddamn thing about the needs of actors. They need freedom. They need to be able to walk around so they can bring the characters to life. We talked about this. How simply can I put this? So there's light and there's dark. Mm-hmm. If they're not in the light, they're in the dark! All right, hey, boys, bring it down a notch. Okay, let me make it simple for you. Anybody coming to see this movie is not gonna care about your lights if they can't connect with the actors! You're impossible. <laughs> you are impossible. Nobody can talk to you! What, what did you think of this moment? Obviously, yeah, like, we are getting to see Copra as kind of like a passionate dude, right? He kind of has this vision yeah. and he's kind of like, 
no holes barred like and that you see the pressure mounting up on him as well yeah and it yeah it, it's a, it's an episode of we've seen a bit of this with a few people and it's another one where so they were on edge to francis there's a bit of like in that in that bit when he's speaking to goldie the way yeah there's a bit of venom in there he's really as a passionate but you can see there is an edge to him as an artist. Yeah, and then Al Ruddy had kind of has to come in and smooth things over, right? He kind of takes Gordy Willis to one side and is like, hey, man, like, I'm sure I can talk Francis down off of this kind of ledge that he's on right now, kind of on this power trip. And remember that there's like 150 people on this set and, like, if you leave, that'll probably leave as well right like yeah. it's another it's another moment of like al ruddy kind of stepping up to the plate and really kind of showing his kind of i don't know his stones as it were yeah really there's always he's the he's the mediator again so he's me he, and he's like he says um and then um gordy just says i'll finish the day but i want an apology it's basic. And then, well, I think that's true. I think, I think Francis might be a bit stubborn. <laughs> and there was there was a lot of tension on set between Gordon Willis and Francis Ford Coppola. So, like, I like I like the fact that they're kind of showing us that tension here. Um, but elsewhere, Jack and Aram have got a plan to now not just get because uh, because they've seen this kind of argument starting to brew. They want to not just, yeah, they want to fire Al Pacino. They now want to kind of fire, get Francis fired and potentially Al as well, right? And kind of. Yeah, they, they're proper over. sharks in the, yeah, sharks in the water now. They smell blood. They, they go in for it. So, yeah, so they, um, yeah, they've, they laugh. They want Pacino gone, Coppola gone. They want, it's a bit of a takeover bit. Yeah, a coup. Who, as it were. Um, yeah. And then you've got Al Ruddy trying to smooth things over between Copler and Gordy, kind of talking to Copler, right? Saying to him, like, you've got to apologize, man. Think of, like, think of him almost like as your, as your, as, as, as your mother here. Like, and I really need you to do this. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, we have that. That's quite a nice little exchange again with Francis. Again, it's one of those moments where you have two of the gang having a little exchange. It happens quite often where... Yeah. Just they pair off. No Puzo again. But yeah, when they they pair off, um, yeah, we get that quite a bit. And it's quite a nice, it's a nice little, mo- those moments are quite nice because it is a, an in for us and their relationships, mm-hmm. which I quite enjoy. And that, that conversation though is cut short because a certain gentleman interrupts. Howdy. There he is, there he is, my favorite producer. I didn't know you were coming today. Yeah, why not? We're on the last scene now, and then we're wrapped for the day. Good, because we're going Applebee. Grab your coat, and uh, maybe spit yourself with some cologne. You got that sweat smell. It's called working. Where are we going? We're going out! We're going to fuck this town in half. I think that is my favorite line in the episode. Just because he's so funny. We're going to fuck this town in half. <laughs> that's a... Uh... Yeah, that's that, that. I think that's gonna be one of my go-to's. Like, if it's a real, yeah. if it's a real big night. What's the vibe tonight? Well, we're gonna fuck this down in half. 
It's kind of like people are fucking telling half guys. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I kind of get, I, I get your vibe. I know, I know, I, I know that we're we're going out on the town. Um, that's that's proper out out. That is, if someone says they're going to fuck the town in half, I think, yeah. oh, alrighty. What are your go tos? Paint the town red or fuck this town in half? Is that, I know, mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to be saying from now on. Fuck this town in half. Um, this town in half. What did you think of their night out? Like, uh, like, were you? Would you want to be on a night out with Bob Evans? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, maybe. I mean, I'm sure he's a lot of fun, but you know, I think the man's got some problems. He's also a fucking liberty, right? Because, like. He's kind of off, like, dancing with women, like, doing his own thing. And, then, like, Ruddy's kind of left, like, a spare prick looking about for him half the night, right? Yeah, you see, he, he just grabs, Bob walks in, grabs two women, sits down, does his thing, and then Ruddy's left. Ruddy spends most of his, yeah, most of the scene walking around looking for Bob. And I'm not sure if you've ever lost a friend in a club. It's the worst, right? Like. Yeah, it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah, when you're because, when you're kind of pissed, like half pissed, and trying to find your friends like in a busy nightclub. Normally, as well, in my case, it was like I'd been dragged to a nightclub where I don't really like the music. I might have popped out for a cigarette or gone to the toilet, trying to find everyone. Obviously, like things are happening, people are moving around. It's just like, ah. Oh. Yeah, and you have an absolutely shit night because you go, well, I can't fucking leave because I've left. I'm gonna be, le- I've left them there, so I'm gonna have to look for them. I'll give it look for another ten minutes. You know, oh, I'll have another. I'll have one more look round. So you spend the night pacing round, sobering up, listening to shit music, and then going, oh fuck, I give up and going home. Yeah, and that's it. You try and call them, and all you hear is like. <laughs> it's like, I, can't, I can't hear where you are or like it happened to be like the club is underground or it's kind of like in yeah. this like do you know what I mean you're you're on floor two of like a three-story building there's no reception in there it's an absolute fucking nightmare you like yeah. mike Skinner you end up paying blinded by the lights do you know what I mean blinded by the lights <laughs> you pay 50 normally pay like 15 quid for the world's shittest game of hide and seek that's what happens <laughs> <laughs> I love it, yeah. Um, so, what does Ruddy end up doing because he can't find Bob Evans? Does he make friends with anyone? Makes friends with a lady. Makes friends with a lady. Um, Rosie makes friends with Rosie, Ruddy and Rosie. Yeah, he chats to her, and um, turns out she designed the place. And they have a chat, and he says, and then she says. Trying to get out of here, so off they go for a little walk. Yeah, and um, what do they talk about? Is this is 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 this what you would be? I I love his kind of opening line to her as well as he says, "Do you come here often?" It's like fucking hell, mate. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like... <laughs> he goes, "No, uh, I mean, it was a genuine question. Do you come here often?" And so when they leave, and they have a little stroll around and a chat. It's another one of these moments where the chat's a bit fucking mental. Like, it's odd. It's another odd chat. I can't remember before. We had we had one of these in a previous episode where we went, 
what is the purpose of this chat really? <laughs> Nobody would talk like it. Yeah, at the end of it, by the moon landings, it's fucking weird. Well, yeah, because they're talking about art, right, at one point. They're art. About, like, like how it's subjective and like of the beholder, as it were. Yeah, and and she says nobody understands how the it's just such a protracted, long. I don't know where he, he the writer obviously likes these, but it's another one of these long protracted metaphors, which is just she ends up going. You just got to enjoy the wonder. Like we do have a lot of talk about moon landing before that. <laughs> Weird. And then we go from one budding romance to another because as Betty McCarty's leaving the studio, Caesar has yeah. been waiting for her, right? What do, yeah, what do you think of what happens in this scene? What, 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 do, what, do, what do you make of it? Like, what, what happens? Well, yeah, so Betty and Caesar, Caesar's waiting for, waiting for her outside and he says, uh, doesn't let, you know, he doesn't want us, doesn't see a woman walk home alone. So she's like, oh, she's a bit won over by him. And she says, oh, how shrivelous. And and then as they're walking away, someone grabs Betty's bag. Yeah, yeah Betty's bag. Grabs Betty's bag. And Caesar catches up to him and beats the living shit out of him. <laughs> and it is quite, it was quite jarring because it's proper, it's violent. Yeah. I mean, he batters him. And Again, repeating the same thing, Juno Temple's so fucking good because her reaction to it is properly brilliant. Because mm-hmm. her reaction absolutely... Considering like the, the, the gangster stuff and the, there's no real... We're seven episodes in. There's been no real violence. Mm-hmm. Like hard hitting violence. I mean, we've had the shootings and that, but they, that's kind of expected. The shooting, it sounds odd, but like it's not a. But this scene, he says him, and it is quite intense. And especially when it cuts back to her reaction, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was. I, I found it not in a bad way, but it's quite jarring because you are a bit taken aback by it. Definitely, and yeah, like you say, like. Juno Temple's performance in it is kind of like saves it, and it is kind of like, and it is those kind of like worlds really bleeding into each other as well, like mm. the kind of mob. From doing some research, like I'm, I haven't really been able to see if I've, I think this kind of relationship might be a fabrication, like just for the show. Like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me, like because. Uh, I was a bit, when it first we got hints of it, I thought, oh, I don't really. But I think, like you say, I think it is the purpose of it is kind of this scene is they are violent blokes. Because sometimes he's the gang's hanging on the set and that is played for laughs. So there's funny moments where it is. But this is the, not the first time, but one of the most graphic times where you go, yeah, these these are these are violent boys. Yeah, he's a naughty, naughty boy. And I naughty think it, boys. It very much speaks to a conversation that happens later on in this episode. And I think like there's some good seeding in this episode of like kind of 
the denouement, as it were, of this kind of whole episode mm. and kind of maybe what the kind of heartbeat and what this particular episode is trying to say, at least. Um, we cut to Al and Rosie in bed. She asks what he does, um, which would have been like, I don't know, maybe like a, a just thinking from this from like a kind of getting people who aren't aware of the film industry on board would have been a nice question for somebody to ask in like episode one but and also seems quite redundant for in a way for somebody to ask in episode seven because it's like for the audience's sake it's like we already know what the producer does do you know what I mean it's like yeah and I don't know because obviously I'm watching we were as well I don't know if this will come back this whole but it did seem a little bit like I say it we know what he does now I know the episode is Mr. Producer so this is I suppose but it seems very late in the day when we've had all this build up to Ruddy doing what he does to have an episode where they have a real exposition dump with her going, so what do you do? And he says, well, this is what I do on the set. You're like, well, we've seen you do it, mate. So <laughs> who, who's it, who is this for? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to do some digging to see if Rosie is real. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because is... if she's not, it's, I don't really see the point of this. Because it doesn't really, well, we'll get to it, but it doesn't really come to anything. Maybe we'll find out next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, he invites her and says, "Like, you can come to the set to, right, yeah. to see what I do." And um, we cut to the next day, and they're setting up for the, the sh- for the shooting of Solotso and McCluskey scene, and um, Al Pacino's yeah. in costume and wants to have a word with. Francis, right? Francis, why do we uh, why do you move the scene up today? I just wanted to give you a chance to shine. Uh, yeah. They uh they want to fire me, don't they? Listen to me. Look at me. When I could let that happen to you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Come here. I want to show you something. Perhaps. That scene then goes. On. I could. I. I've got more of that clip, but like it just goes on for way too long. Um, but what what do you make of this exchange between them? And because I I kind of really enjoyed, especially the kind of conversation they have in the toilet, especially because obviously like they're yeah. setting up one of the key scenes for for this film, and kind of like I imagine would have been a real crunch point for both of them in this kind of real 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 life scenario in the fact that Francis Ford Coppola and Al Pacino kind of did have their necks on the line of whether they were going to be fired after that first week. So yeah. Are you, yeah, are I, you sold on Anthony Polito yet as, uh, as Pacino or? I don't think so. But, well, not in this episode, not yet because then the more I think about it, maybe that, is kind of intentional as well in as I'm like 
I'm always seeing it from their point of view where I'm going, I don't buy him as like this charismatic. But that's kind of the intention because he's not yet. So maybe, maybe I'm, I'm. He's not got the confidence, right? Yeah. So he's not. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I buy him as Pacino because, like we said before, I, I was looking at it wrong. So now, I'm seeing it from the point of view of like, yeah, of course he's not the Pacino we know yet, and he is Mr. Nervy. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm buying it more than I was. Uh-huh. Now I've kind of got into the idea of it. Yeah, stop thinking of him as out. Big Al. Hoo-ha. Not as hoo-ha. Yeah. Ow. It's just kind of... Like... Not as hoo-ha. Yeah, yeah. The struggling yeah. actor. Wow. Well, I'm not struggling. I'm not struggling. I'm a starving actor. <laughs> yeah, so maybe he's... Maybe this is it. Maybe he's playing it really well, because... Like, I don't buy it. Yeah. I... That, that that moment of them in the bathroom is kind of like kind of nerdy crap for me. Just that kind of conversation yeah. with them, like Francis kind of saying to him, like giving him the direction of like, in here you let all your nerves out, out there you're trying to hold it in. And then like the way that the way that scene plays out, I just think it's like really masterful. It kind of has like the the tension of what that scene has in the actual movie as well. It's... Yeah, and is it? The end of the scene is a lovely bit of stuff. It's a it, it, even someone who's not as nerdy or into the golf father ever knows that scene like we've said before, and is a clever touch. What, Just what? that last bit with Cobbler, the cobbler saying, "Move the gun." Yeah, it's great because I was like, "Oh fuck yeah, that's, that's yeah, of course, that's why." But he just says, "Move it to the left." And up a couple of inches, so he has to have a little rule around for it, which is fucking brilliant. Because, and then you straight away you go, Oh, fuck yeah, I remember that from it. He's looking at, so yeah, that again, that's the stuff, these little moments are the stuff that does really well, that keeps me in. Definitely. Because it is, like you say, no crack, you go, Oh, yeah, of course, that's why he was looking at that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so um yeah they 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 discuss the gun and then um yeah francis has the prop guy move it like you said and yeah i i I love that moment as well um and then they're about to shoot the scene uh, a bit later and uh rosie's turned up and so does charlie and uh what do you kind of think everyone kind of shits their pants when charlie turns up right (laughs) It's, it's menacing Charlie, isn't it? When he rocks up. I mean, it, yeah, the Rosie thing, again, is a bit weird because no one really questions why she's there at all, do they? But you go, you think on such a big production, like a film that everyone's panicking about, who's on the set, they would someone would have gone, who the fuck is this? Why is she here? But no one does, but anyway. But yeah, so Charlie turns up and uh, things get it. Well, you can see they're getting a bit tense because it's it's crazy Charlie, who is has become my second favorite person in the show. Out of the gang, Bob Evans and Charlie. Every time they're on screen, 
you know they're going to come out with an absolute zinger. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, like the way Charlie's kind of sorting about the set and asking them, like, he's like, says to like one of the production guys, so he's like, get me a martini. And he's like, it's a fake bar. Like, I can't get you, I can't get you, a, I can't get you a martini. Like, um, but then like that, that's kind of cut short. Cause there's like, Al's got another fire to put out just then. He's obviously got shot. He's got his, he's got his new potential girlfriend turn up and then he's got, um, yeah, he's, he's got Charlie turn up and then the, the owner of the restaurant wants them out of there. So he's got to put that yeah, he's... fire out, right? He's kicking off. Then, yeah, this is one of those things where we're pulling all the gang together because Bob turns up. Yes. Looking an absolute shambles. Yes. And then he said, um, Charlie says to him, you need a bath. And uh, Bob says, I think his line is, women are my natural musk. No, women love my natural musk. My natural musk. Women love my natural musk. Like, oh. God, he's such a... I love him. What a sleazy little bastard. And the fact that he yeah. said, like, pretty much like a similar thing to Ruddy earlier as well. It's very much that thing like, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to dish it out, but I, I definitely cannot take it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he's turned out. He's had, a, he's had a good night by the looks of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's he he's like sent he's away going, to... Right? He looks like he probably... Yeah, he's... Yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's absolutely still on um, enjoying himself. He's on, yeah, the but yeah, so marching they, powder, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they're all on set now. It's one of these, well, we're gearing up to the thing. But yeah, they, so we're all gathering on set. And then, yeah, the uh, the restaurant owner wants them out because they were only supposed to be there a couple of hours and they've now been there six. So Ruddy has to go and deal with that situation. And then... Um, well, he does. He doesn't deal with it. Essentially, it, Caesar deals with it. Yeah. What do you think? This fact that obviously, like, I don't know. We've seen like a turning point now that he's he's now happy to call upon. Like, obviously, we saw in an earlier episode he was kind of reticent about the mob stuff. Here, he seems kind of gung ho to just be mm. like, "You guys come and sort this out." And he knows that their tactics aren't going to be like having a word with him, are they? They're probably going to be intimidation and like. Thingy, but Al's kind of all gung ho for it. He's like, "Yeah, fuck it. This is, this is the bed I'm in now." I guess it's another one of these, like, in this timeline, the sped up thing because it it can happen in the show in a scene or within two scenes. They're like, "I can't. This is a disgrace. What these guys are doing." Okay, then that's fine. We'll just carry on with it. They just don't. There's no, which is fine because it's the, it's the show. It is, but like he his turnaround was pretty rapid. I'm going, oh, I'm going to fucking pickle you. I don't know what to do with these guys. Do you mind battering him for me? So, yeah, it's, but whatever. But, yeah, he's really fine with them using strong-arm tactics now. He locks, he locks the restaurant owner in the room. <laughs> what did you think? Did you feel vindicated when we got the next scene and it's, it's them filming the McCluskey and Salozzo shooting, but we don't see it. All we see, as you called it last week, all we see is the reactions from the people watching it. What did you... What did I you... mean, um, as I was watching it, I thought, fucking call this, mate. Because it's pretty much exactly how I thought it'd pay out, which makes sense. I mean, 
it wasn't a massive leap, but yeah, it plays out exactly as I thought it did. And yeah, it did as well. Because I, I think they're quite clever in the fact that they're not recreating every time, like this, and like we said earlier, the the um, the Don's room and stuff, and we're not seeing them do the scenes uh-huh. where we know exactly what's happening. I think it would be a mistake to because if I'm not sold on if he's not spot on Pacino doing it, it that falls apart. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a it's a shrewd move to like have the reactions and not to just re reenact the scenes. And I liked it. I thought it was done well. Yeah, it'd be a really dangerous game to like kind yes. of give us scenes from the film, wouldn't it? And it would kind of be cheating yeah. the audience somewhat as well, I think. Um mm. But Charlie loves it, right? Well, yeah, we're like, I love this moment between like Charlie kind of really enjoying it. And like, I think Betty says like, oh, yeah, Betty says to him like, you, do you love him? And he's like, I don't love anyone, but I really like this guy and tries to approach yeah. Al Pacino. And like, what did you make of this moment? Like, Al, like obviously, Andy Polito kind of playing Pacino as this method guy still in mm. that kind of moment. Yeah, he just stares him down. Just as a stare. And it was quite a good... <clears throat> yeah, it's good. Because I think it's Francis then says this method in the background. But yeah, he's... But that is, again, coming from that performance is quite clever because it's a moment where you go, all right. We haven't seen him do his thing, but that little moment you go, all right, there he is. He is intense. He's not Mr. And he does play that well because he does look fucking intense. He's got an intense look on his face. It looks scary. All right, yeah. And it is. Yeah, it was the moment I went. Yeah, it was the moment I went. Oh, hello. Do you know what I mean? That's the purpose. And it kind of plays it into that fact of like, we're seeing what kind of Charlie in that. We're seeing what Charlie sees, right? In that thing of like, oh, this this guy can fucking do it. And they just show us that in the way that Anthony Polito kind of does that kind of like, yeah, because Pacino does have that. Like like once he shoots, like there's that kind of moment where it hangs on him. I always love that moment in it where, it's kind of talked about in an earlier episode of this and is in the film where he's like, he doesn't drop the gun immediately and like the look on his face. And it's like, is that ice, ice blue, cold killers? Do you know what I mean? That you yeah, yeah. love, like, is that moment like, fuck. And it, this, that, that, that moment is such a transitional moment within the Godfather. And it's kind of like, it's almost like a transitional moment within this show as well. It's kind of like, this is the turning point. 100%. Charlie backing them, right? Well, yeah, this is what this is exactly that. It's the moment where I, it kind of clicked for me when I went, oh, yeah, because now as a viewer, and I'm seeing, like you say, from Charlie's point of view, from everyone else's point of view, you go, oh, fucking hell, he is good and he is intense. Yeah. So, so um, I think <clears throat> maybe that's why I didn't buy into it because. He, the nervousness of Pacino in that, in the lead up, I, that was kind of my issue. I thought it was a little bit overdone, but he was so nervy. And so, but maybe that's true. But then 
again, because we're not in fucking, we haven't got, we're not, this isn't eight episodes of Pacino becoming the actor. Uh-huh. It's done really well in the sense you, it's the extremes. This is all the extremes. They don't do anything subtly. So he's really nervous and really quietly spoken. And then, bang, you have the one you go, all right, there he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what this show does. It doesn't fuck around with anything. 100%. Um, so whilst we've been chatting, I've kind of been trying to do some little bit of research. I can't find anywhere a mention of Al Ruddy with anyone called um, Rosie. Like nothing comes up. So it is a fabrication for the shoulder. I'm imagining so because he got married again in 1981 to someone called Wanda McDaniel, which would have been a whole like nine years after the events of this show. So yeah, if you type in Al Ruddy, Rosie, no, like all that comes up is uh, like recaps for the offer. So I'm imagining. Imagining she's a fabrication, and so it is quite a odd choice. Yeah, it doesn't come to anything. Yeah, unless unless it comes to something later. Yeah, maybe. Well, it gives us a chance. It gives her a chance because as she walks out, for her to deliver this pearl of wisdom. Holy shit! What is this? That's a prop. Horses are supposed to represent courage and and freedom, and to cut off its head, that's America right there. This is art. (laughs) That is so, so clunky. On the nose, yeah, it's some real, like, on the nose stuff, right? It's kind of speaking the themes of The Godfather, right? It's that kind of thing of, like... That's what the Godfather's all about. It's about like uh, imperialism and like the 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 American dream and how it's all like how it's all a scam. This is like this is the issue with this show sometimes. And like we said before, if you take these and they, I won't say one an episode, but there's every so often there's these real clunkers of scenes. And this is one of them. If you take those out of context and saw that, you would go, fuck it. And it's just, which is a shame because that actually doesn't need to be that at all, just for that purpose. But we can get that from what we're watching. Yeah. It, there's spoon feeding us little bits of things, which is fine, but there's like slamming it into your face yeah. <laughs> going in case you didn't understand and you're a little bit stupid, we're going to do this very simply for you. This is what this is about. Yeah, definitely. And it's a little bit like, Oh, I get the kind of show you are. Uh, what, one of the things I found like quite funny, like at the end of this scene is as Al's kind of walking back to the restaurant, we get, Jack and Aram getting out of a taxi and they're like kind of bitching to each other and they're like, 
oh, I bet they're still setting up for the shot. Like, and it's obviously like, we know as an audience, like, ah, fuck you guys, they've got the shot. Like, and Charlie fucking loved it. Um, and then we cut to Betty and Caesar in the meat packing district. Will, why are they? Why are they in the meat packing district? They have a little chat first because Caesar feels like he upset Betty, which you know you would if you beat the shit out of someone in front of someone. They may be a little bit upset, understandably. And she's like, she does say, "I just don't like violence." And he goes, okay. And then the meat packing door opens and a guy comes out with something wrapped up in brown paper and says, you didn't get this from me. And throws in a fork. It looks distinctly like the shape of a horse's head. <laughs> Which is hmm. something that actually, actually happened. Like it was actually a horse's head it was in that bed in the Godfather. It wasn't. But yeah. It wasn't a prop. It was an actual horse's head. Did they? The news of real horse's head, but how, did they? How did they? Get, did they get it like this? I'm not sure. If I do wonder. Because I mean, I'm not horses' sure if heads like, aren't. I know that the actor who played Jack Waltz was not happy, like in that scene, because like he well, didn't. I can't imagine it smelled nice. Not yeah, not just that, but like I think, like they had the covers already on there, and then like got him to lay in the bed, and then like take oh. it off, and like the first time he saw the horse's head was like the first time he saw the horse's head. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he was not a happy guy, which like I totally get. Right? It's like hundred <laughs> percent. I wouldn't be that keen. <laughs> let's try and see uh yeah here the fact Seven. so um so yeah i, I i'm currently on whattowatch.com and they have a feature fact or fiction with episodes of the offer and here's what they say with the fact in regards to the horse's head yep per the la times uh Los, yeah la times Copla confirms it was a real horse's head used in that scene, but it was acquired from a slaughterhouse. Uh, but was it Betty's job to pick it up? According to Mark Seal's book, Leave the Gun and Take the Cannoli, in addition to Ad, uh, being Ruddy's assistant, Betty uh, Betty was also the horse, uh, yeah, the horse head scout. However, it did not need a favour from the movie's mafia connections, just some old-fashioned hustle. So there is like some mm. some truth and some truth to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once tasked with the job, Betty McCart called a dog food processing plant that, as luck have it, just put down a racehorse, and she could pick it up. Yeah, yeah, and she could pick it up if she and she could have it. Jesus. Here's a, oh. here's a quote from Betty McCart in regards to the horse's head. Um, smelled worse than anything you could ever imagine. Which, yeah. <laughs> so That's yeah. pretty. So, yeah, Betty did go and get that head, just the mob. Um, 
So Al calls another kind of emergency meeting with Bob Evans, Gordon Willis, and uh, Francis Ford Coppola in the toilet again, right? Yeah. This time. I really really like this. I like the fact it was in the toilet. In the toilet. And yeah, they're all huddled in. And what's he? um, Someone else tries to come in the knee, and Bob says, uh, Someone like, go shake it off somewhere else. (laughs) Or something along those lines. (laughs) And then it's just those four in the toilet. And yeah, I really like this. And again, going on, this is the stuff it does really well. When the gang are together, and there's these, yeah, yeah, and like I say, the fact it was in the toilet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure wasn't it? Yeah. Especially what they're kind of talking about as well is this kind of thing of like conniving and backstabbing. Like they're kind of like saying about like the dailies they're getting out and like Ruddy pieces it together. And he's like, I think I know who's been taking the dailies and goes out to confront the guy right then and there. <laughs> it's another one of those. Hey, Aaron, oh, I told you nobody sees the dailies unless I approve it. Why are you showing them to Charlie? If you have a problem, talk to Jack. What about it, Jack? I told Aaron to show Charlie the dailies. You can't do that. Mr. Producer, you seem a little confused. I'm the vice president of production at Paramount. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Fucking snake. Hey. Al, Joe wants to see you. What is this? The address. Al is then like, like how how quickly his life moves. It's literally he's fucking had to have a confrontation with two dickheads trying to ruin his film, and then he's beckoned by Joe Colombo to his house. Um, what did you make of yeah? What did you make of the scene between uh, Al Ruddy and Joe Colombo? Like. Uh, and we'll kind of talk about it. Do you want to talk about it now, or do you want to talk about it a bit later in relation to what happens at the end of this episode? Or, or do you want to talk about it in relation to the episode end of the episode now? Because I imagine people listening would would have seen the end of the episode. How, how do you want to play this? Well, um, okay, I'll say I enjoyed the scene, and I thought it was a. I quite like this scene and I like the fact they were seeing Joe in his house yeah so Ruddy goes to Joe's house meets Joe's wife and it's another which seems to be a running theme of this episode seeing other sides of people so we've seen Francis can be you know he has his moments and he's a perfectionist and he has got an edge to him and you see a side to Betty where the, the shock to the violence shows that she's yeah, the, she's she's always strong in things, but also yeah, she's she's good because there's a comment as well, which we didn't say that um, Rosie says to her about being, oh, so you're like a producer. And she goes, no, I'm just on a lot less money. That kind of thing. So we're seeing different sides of people. And this scene, um, we're seeing a more human side to Joe, where he's talking about his family and he's there with his wife. His wife's cooking for him and cooks for Ruddy and says, you know, you're welcome anytime. And they have nice, and they said, we're, we're pals and they're, they're mates. And, but they have like a kind of like interesting conversation about Joe's son as well. And you kind of get those parallels. Between yeah. 
between like the Don, right? And in the Godfather and the fact that he wanted Michael to become like a politician, like that's Joe's aspirations for his son. And like, he kind of, he kind of says to him, like you learn pretty early, like if you've got what it takes to smack a guy around the head with a baseball bat. Like, and it's. Yeah. And then, and Ruddy says, that's not, I don't think that's something I could do. And Joe Columbo's like, and I think that's why I like you. So you get that sense that, you know... That mutual respect. Columbo's... Like, 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 yeah, and Columbo's lived the life and Ruddy's kind of in it, but Joe Columbo... Yeah, mutual respect with Joe Columbo's like, yeah, I know you're not that guy and that's why I can trust you and that's why I like you. But this, for me, this whole scene foreshadowed quite heavily the end of this episode and I went, okay, I know what's happening here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because their goodbye is really meaningful. Yeah. The scene is ho- and it's, hopefully meaningful. It's on the nose. Yeah, we know that anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, I, uh, so, yeah. The, this scene, lovely and all that, but it, I, I kind of figured where this, was, this episode was going to go and how this was going to end. Based on that scene. I, 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 yeah. I totally get that. Um, but what did you make of Ruddy and Evans and kind of Charlie finally getting on board with them? They show him the color timed um, like footage because he's had issues with the fact that the dailies he's seen so far have been really dark and stuff like that. And obviously, Gordon Willis hasn't had time to kind of like do what he needs to do with them to kind of get the look that he knows that he's going for. Um, what What is it about watching people watch something that is so fascinating in this show? And kind of, I don't know, I found, I, there's something exciting about watching people react, right? And I found it in this scene. Yeah, it's, it, it, it does it a few times. And it is something, and again, they, they play it really well because Charlie's reaction very slight changes to his face, but like you can see the moment click where he goes like the stop stops like it clicks and you go what do you just say it's beautiful yeah so yeah it, he he gets it I can't yeah he's like I can't take my eyes off of Brandon yeah. and uh, yeah they know they've got him on side and they say um, can we get your blessing on something and I love Charlie's closing lines like. Why does everyone want my blessing? What am I, a fucking priest? <laughs> like we said before, it's Evans and Charlie, every time they're on screen, you go, they're guaranteed an absolute belter of a light. Yeah, an absolute zinger. Uh, Bob Evans got one coming up right here in this next scene when they're, they're, they're all stood around the bed from the horse's head scene, right? Expect, inspecting the head, like... Inspecting the head. I thought this was great, right? Because it's kind of like uh, a cap to the episode. Like, it's kind of like how the episode began. We're kind of going to see it out without the kind of coda we get on the end of it. It's kind of, now it's another group of people going like, wow, look at this horse's head. And Francis kind of being yeah. like, more blood. Like, oh, no, no, you're going to need yeah. a lot more blood. And apart from that real clunky bit we said about the horse's head, 
I completely understand why the horse's head features so heavily in the episode because it is an iconic moment. That even if you've never seen The Godfather, everyone knows where the horse's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone, everyone knows that from whether it be from parodies in The Simpsons or you, you know what I mean. But the horse's head, see, everyone knows where. It, and again, without repeating repeat yourself too much, but like it is something this show does well because we wanted. We were waiting for Brando, we were waiting for Pacino, we were waiting for the bathroom scene. And we want, I know the horse's head. So this is why it's, it's such a clever use for it to open the, open the episode on it. And the running theme is constantly tying you in with, oh, it's the horse's head from The Godfather. We know, I know that. Like I say, even people who haven't seen The Godfather just watching the show will know the horse's head. So yeah. And I love the kind of interplay between them and like just Bob Evans constantly saying like, is that a real, is, it, is, it, is that a real head? Like, that, is like, and, uh, like nope. he, he has a line where he's like, oh, props to the props department. Like, he's like, props to props. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. that's a decent head. Like, um, but they close the set right to invite um, Aram and Jack in to have a chat with them. And this is what they, this is their, um, yeah, this is their exchange of those two tickets. Looks great. You like that? How can I put this delicately? You're fired. You backstabbing son of a bitch. Get the hell off my set. Okay, wait what? a second. Wait Why a don't second. you get the fuck out of here too, Jack? Listen, Mr. Producer, that's not the way this works. You can't do that. But I can. Excuse me, Al. Jack. You're fired. And to quote something I heard mere seconds ago, get the fuck off my set. Let's go. This isn't over, Evans. Oh, we'll agree to disagree on that. Oh, Jack, you got a little blood on your collar. It, it's right there. Right there, pal. So as Bob Evans is doing that, he's giving him the finger, right? He's like, like <laughs> right there, right yeah. there, right there, right there, pal. I love it. I love it. And I love as they like uh, Bob Evans is like kind of chuffed with what they've done. He's like, so Ruddy, you want to go for a, who wants to go for a drink? And like, what I particularly like about this and like, we, you, you mentioned it earlier about the fact there's no poozer in this episode. I like the fact that they've kind of created this little gang of like, um yeah ruddy bob and coppola now right it's kind of like ah what a great look this is a yeah this is a gang i can get on board with i can get on board with these three as well yeah this is why i keep keep going back to the whole thing about it being like a caper film and like oceans 11 or something because they are a gang they're and they are mismatched and like even this scene where the way Francis is like, yeah, yeah, let's go for a drink. And like Bob Evans puts his arm around him. And I can't remember like this. I'm like, oh, what a privilege. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, what a guy, it, Francis. Yeah. And it's like yeah. the thing of like, that's it's, like, I want to see that episode. Just like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just those two having that, a chat, right? Just those two having a chat. Bottle episode of them two on the smash. Because <laughs> I'm sure Bob Evans will be smashing Coke and drinking martinis. And 
Coppola, Francis, Francis will be just with his glass of red wine, just telling him all about. Uh, like, yeah, that's an episode. Yeah, because there's um. We'll and Kuzo will come over to and go, hey, guys. <laughs> we'll maybe get into it, like, at uh, the end of this whole series, but uh, things didn't end well for the relationship between uh, Bob Evans and Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, no. Years later, they ended up in court, but we'll, we'll, explore, uh, we'll have a chat about that <laughs> in a later episode. But, yeah, I, got, I, would have, I, I kind of loved that moment of those two kind of embracing and kind of going off. It's great into the, into the sunset. Um, and then Ruddy, yeah, somebody's been lingering about on the set who has a chat with Ruddy. It's only it's only our boy Brando. What did you What did you oh, think of, of their little kind of exchange together? Yeah, like because it again, it's it, the way they. I quite like the way they treat the Brando character because mm-hmm. again. It, he just appears almost yeah. and just appears into scene, talks already in this like almost monologue. Philosophical kind of like. Yeah, just some just throwing some philosophy out there. And because it, it as he speaks, we go to the rally. Cause I, I can't r- remember his exact words, but it's about power, isn't it? Yeah, because he, he says does, about he, he says to him, and I love the like kind of the first thing he says to him is like, oh, you should have charged tickets for that performance. Like, that was great. And he's kind of saying, like... Yeah, yeah. And Ronnie tries, assu- tries to assure Brando, doesn't he? He's like, as long as Francis is at the helm, the rest is white noise. And It's almost like... I quite like it. It's almost like... Because we haven't seen... Apart from when he first got cast, Brando, we haven't seen him anywhere else apart from on set. So it's almost like Brando is this mythical character that now lives on set. Yes. Because if they just go to him, oh, Brando's always there, and they go, like, early on, is it, oh, he's got a stray cat. <laughs> is he just hanging around the set now? Yeah. <laughs> just living on set. Yeah, and I like that because I don't want to see Brando anywhere else. Yeah. That's what I want to see him do. So, yeah, I quite, I quite like that he pops up with his little philosophy. Well, yeah, because the thing he kind of closes out as we move to the rally, that um, Joe Colombo, yeah, he's kind of uh, Italian American League rally. He's having, he says, the the funny thing about power, the ones that truly have it, uh, don't have to talk about it. And I see him. Ruddy's there for his first row seat at the rally. And what? What? How? How does this rally pan out? Wow. Ruddy spots someone in the crowd and think and we have a reaction sort of oh no. And yeah. Um Columbo gets gunned down. Is shot. And the episode finishes with our man Columbo on the floor, hanging, face down. Hanging off the front of the stage, right? Hanging off the front of the stage, head over, presumably dead yeah some serious stuff I, yeah and it's on an it's, it's on a cliffhanger like that where you're like i wanna yeah i wanna see now I shit's wanna, going off i wanna see where we go to next um where do you think we're going to go next like what do you think is going to be the the next yeah like 
what do you want to see in the next episode like is there any moments within the godfather that they haven't touched on yet i don't know how they're gonna i'd be interested now to see how they deal with the sicily stuff because they're gonna have to well they don't have to but i would assume they're gonna i mean they'll fly from new york to sicily in three minutes straight because that's what will happen. Well, the Sicily, there we go in. But yeah, I assume they'll have to deal with that. And I don't know whether how because like with only two. Well, this is episode seven, so yeah, there's quite a bit still to do of the product making of the Godfather. Uh-huh. So whether we're gonna have an episode which batters through that now, which I think I don't know, but I think we might because we're gonna have to then. Close it out because I mean, there's quite a lot of loose ends to tie up. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was gonna pan out. So, it's surprising how we fired through stuff. When you think about, it, you go, oh yeah, it's taken till episode seven before we even started making the Godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of yeah, they're they're they're, they're really ra- yeah. I guess like. It's shown that thing, the making of a film is kind of, there's so much in that pre-production and stuff like leading up Mm. to it that like sometimes, as long as you kind of get all your ducks in a row, the production can be pretty smooth. Like, you know what I mean? And I think, I think once they kind of ironed out certain things in this production, it was, it was fairly smooth. Um, So with this episode, are we, are we leaving the gun or are we taking the cannoli on this one? Men. Absolutely in. I'm looking forward to the next one now. So the next episode we have coming up is episode eight, Crossing the Line. And as it says here on IMDb in its plot synopsis, in the aftermath of the rally, Gallo threatens the Godfather's production budget as Roddy struggles to protect the funding for Sicily. Evan spirals after the breakup of his marriage with Ali McGraw, allowing Lapidus to capitalise. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very sad that Bob's going to spiral because no one wants to see anyone spiral. But I am quite looking forward to seeing Bob spiral. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. If there's anyone you want to kind of see on a downward slope, it's Bob Evans, right? It's Bob. Yeah. You want to see what that entails. So, uh, yeah, that's what we have coming up next week. I'm excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a shame, like we say it week after week, I don't know why this hasn't got more. I, well, I kind of do because of the scenes we talk, there's a, the clunkers, but there's some fucking great performances and I think people who are not watching are really missing out because it is a belter of a show. So... Well, um, where, like, what, yeah, is there anyone you'd like to see come back? Like, how do you think, what do you think the recourse of the Columbo shooting is going to be? Do you think that's going to be resolved in the next episode or we're going to have to wait for that? I wouldn't be surprised if we we have more Godfather stuff. And nine, we're going to have Crazy Joe, more of the 
mob stuff. And then obviously episode 10 is going to be the hide it all up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well. I think that's, I think that's what might happen. I don't know. Well, that, 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 that sounds, yeah. That sounds. I'm quite looking for t- to some more crazy Joy acting, though. Yeah, we didn't get much crazy Joe Gallo. Nah. Want some more of I that think, I, I think intense that, there. That tease for next week, that, that's what we might get. In, in that episode, but... Um, yeah, maybe we'll have eight now will be Crazy Joe, nine will be Sicily and stuff, and then tying it all up. Maybe that's what, yeah. Oh, let's let, let's see if that comes mm. true. Um, well, as, as, as always, guys, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you're watching The Offer, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me and Will. You can get in touch with me at Caged in Pod on all the social media. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox, and TikTok, all at Caged in Pod. Or you can drop me an email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. Tell me, tell us what you're thinking of the, the offer. Tell us what you're thinking. Uh, tell, us, tell us what you're thinking of the, these wine-fueled chats. Uh, are, we, are we losing our fucking minds? Are we two rambling, boost-up nutters just kind of, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know, just kind of making less and less sense as this series goes on. Uh, where can people find you, Will? Um, on Twitter, mainly, being a rambling, boozed-up nutter. <laughs> yeah, on Twitter, at Will Chich. Amazing. So please be sure to join us next week as we start to be crossing that line and we make you an offer that you can't refuse so be be sure to leave the gun and take the offer and we'll catch you next time the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Drooptown Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.